It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You wanted law and order in this town. You've got it. Randy! Randy! Those who would trade our freedom for the soup kitchen of the welfare state have told us they have a utopian solution of peace without victory. They call their policy accommodation. And they say if we'll only avoid any direct confrontation with the enemy, he'll forget his evil ways and learn to love us. There are cynics who say that a party platform is something that no one bothers to read and it doesn't very often amount to much. Whether it is different this time than it has ever been before, I believe the Republican Party has a platform that is a banner of bold, unmistakable colors with no pale pastel shades. A while back along the campaign trail, I was doing a question and answer session when a little girl, couldn't have been more than six or seven years old, stood up, asked a question I'd heard before, but coming from her, it threw me. She said, why do you want to be president? I will not make age an issue of this campaign. I am not going to exploit for political purposes, my opponent's youth and inexperience. March 30th, 1981. We hear much from Moscow about a new policy of reform and openness. Some political prisoners have been released. Some economic enterprises have been permitted to operate with greater freedom from state control. Are these the beginnings of profound changes in the Soviet state, or are they token gestures intended to raise false hopes in the West? We welcome change and openness. The advance of human liberty can only strengthen the cause of world peace. General Secretary Gorbachev, if you seek peace, if you seek prosperity for the Soviet Union and Eastern Europe, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Ronald Wilson Reagan, February 6, 1911 to June the 5th, 2004, was an American politician who served as the 40th president of the United States from 1981 to 1989. The life of Ronald Reagan, coming soon on 10 American Presidents. I'm Chris Stewart from the History of China podcast, and I approve this message.
This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. Ladies and gentlemen, please remain standing for the singing of our national anthem. means Brexit. My administration has accomplished more than almost any administration in the history of our country. Hello and welcome to Mid-Atlantic, the show where we look at the news and the views from one side of the Atlantic from the perspective of the other. I'm Royfield Brown, who's in lockdown in London. Today, I'm joined by Laura Babcock in Hamilton, Ontario, in Canada, Emma Burnell in London, and Doug Levy in San Francisco, California. Say hello, folks. Hi. Hello. Today, we look at our respective countries' response to the COVID-19 crisis coordinating with the Chinese government and working closely together on the coronavirus outbreak in China. Earlier today, Ministers Blair, Haidu and Garneau announced that Canada has advised Canadians to curtail non-essential international travel and that we are bringing in additional screening measures at airports. Hi folks, quick update for me on the campaign against coronavirus. First of all, in my own case, uh, although I'm feeling better and I've done my, my seven days of isolation, alas, I still have uh, one of the symptoms, a minor symptom of, I, have a, I still have a temperature and so in accordance with government advice, I must continue uh, my self-isolation. Many Americans are saying that you should have warned them the virus was spreading like wildfire through the month of February instead of holding rallies with thousands of people. Why did you wait so long yeah, who are you to with? warn them? Who are you with? And why did you yeah. uh, not have social distancing until March 16th? Who are you with? I'm Weijia Jiang with CBS News. So, if you look at what I did in terms of cutting off or banning China from coming in. Chinese nationals. But by the way, not Americans who are also nice coming from easy. China. Nice and easy. Just relax. We cut it off. People were amazed. These gentlemen, everybody was amazed that I did it. We were very early. Oh, I'm, I'm the president. And you know what I just did? And you know what I just... And by the way, when you issued the ban, the virus was already here. Okay, and you know how many people when I issued the ban? How many cases of virus were in the United States when I issued the ban? Do you know the number? There was... No, no, how many cases? Remember I said one person. How many cases were here when I issued the ban? Tell did me. you know? No, no, no. You have to do your research. How many? I did my research. On the 23rd of March, you said you knew this was going to be a pandemic. Can I tell you what? I did know it. I did know it. All I have to do is look. So you knew all, anybody knew it. Just, are you ready? How many cases were in the United States when I did my ban? How many people had died in the United States? Did you acknowledge that you didn't think Keep your voice down, please. Keep your voice down. Did you not? How many, how many, how many cases were in the United States? I did a ban where I'm closing up the entire country. How many people died in the United States? And yet I closed up the country and I believe there were no deaths, zero deaths at the time I closed up the country. And you should say thank you very much for good judgment. Sophie Gregoire Trudeau had been traveling in the United Kingdom. She was delivering some speaking engagements there. And when she returned, a few days after she returned, she started to develop mild flu-like symptoms. That was Wednesday night. Thursday morning, she got tested for COVID-19. And late this evening, she 
is positive. She has COVID-19. She is now in quarantine for 14 days. Most importantly, your husband, the Prime Minister of Canada, Justin Trudeau, is now in quarantine. He'll have to conduct all of the nation's business from his home office. The NHS has saved my life, no question. It's hard to find words to express my debt. People die from the flu. And it is a little bit different, but in some ways it's easier and in some ways it's a little bit tougher. Uh, we have it so well under control. I mean, view this the same as the flu when somebody sneezes. I mean, to keep Canadians safe, to mitigate the economic impacts of the virus, all levels of government are working together. I know that you're worried. You're worried about your health, about your family's health, about your job, your savings, about paying rent, about the kids not being in school. The steps being taken to keep you safe have an economic impact. But what is also true is that we are in the enviable position of having significant fiscal firepower available to support you. In the last seven days, I have, of course, seen the pressure that the NHS is under. I want to pay my own thanks to the utterly brilliant doctors, leaders in their fields, uh, men and women, but several of them for some reason called Nick, who took some crucial decisions a few days ago, for which I will be grateful for the rest of my life. If I mention in particular two nurses who stood by my bedside for 48 hours when things could have gone either way. They're Jenny from New Zealand, in Vicargill on the South Island to be exact, and Luis from Portugal near Porto. And the reason in the end my body did start to get enough oxygen was because for every second of the night, they were watching. It's going to disappear one day. It's like a miracle. It will disappear. Yes. And from our shores, we, you know, it could get worse before it gets better. It could maybe go away. We'll see what happens. Nobody really knows. As we are recording this, uh, the UK has registered 18,738 deaths. The USA has had 48,201 and Canada is at 2,032. Uh, first question to you, Laura, how has the political ideology and the character of your prime minister played into the government's response to the news back in December that over in Wuhan, there was a new and dangerous virus. I'll take it even a step further in that something happened to our prime minister early on in this that really shaped how Canadians viewed the crisis. His wife was actually diagnosed with COVID-19 and had to go into self-isolation. And so he decided to do that with her. So right at the beginning of this, when this really started to become top of mind in Canada, we had our prime minister having to step outside of his home and give daily press briefings to the country. So for anybody who was play, paying attention to some of the false narratives coming out of the White House, for instance, because here in Canada, we get a tremendous amount of U.S. news. For anyone who was kind of being seduced by the idea that it would go away miraculously or it would go away in the spring or whatever, it was just the flu, that didn't resonate here in Canada because our own prime minister was having to stay home. Uh, mm -hmm. And so as we watched that every day, I think we had a sense early on of how important this was, how it could touch anyone. And as Canadians, culturally, 
we are used to hunkering down for months at a time, depending on how far away you live from the big cities. We're used to bad weather. We all have cabins, or not all of us, but many of us have a cabin culture where we go away to the cottage or a cabin. So we are used to somewhat of isolation, of getting through ice storms where we can't leave the house for a number of days. So I think we were better prepared just generally for the advent of having to stay home and to self-isolate. And I also think that we were better prepared psychologically uh, when we saw that our own kind of flashy prime minister, who's a bit of a celebrity, that he himself had to stay home. And that, that really made the point strongly for Canadians. And just remind us, what date was that? when his wife actually went into hospital, approximately. Well, you know what, honestly, it is a bit of a blur. And uh, all I can tell you is that it was early on. It was before we heard of other high profile people around the world being impacted Mm -hmm. by this. It was, and also you have to realize they are a very young, very dynamic couple. I believe she was returning actually from a trip to the UK, but I could be off on that. Uh, But she was coming back from international travel. But because she was young and dynamic and very healthy, the idea that she could be stricken with the virus got rid of all those false assumptions that it was just something that impacted seniors or impacted people who were in vulnerable places or were living, you know, in groups at uh, long-term care facilities. This was a a famous, vibrant, powerful woman, and she was uh, the prime minister's wife. And that, I think, changed things for Canadians. Same question to you, Emma. Boris Johnson, um, somewhat of a populist, he didn't take this too seriously at the start. Um, Does that also go and inform our governmental response that basically we were somewhat behind Spain and Italy in reacting to this crisis? Yeah, um, completely. And I think there, there's there been a lot of um, criticism of things like, for example, we had the first death on March the 5th. Um, and then five days later, March the 10th, you had thousands and thousands of people gathering together in very close proximity at the Cheltenham Festival, um, which, you know, which should have been cancelled. Um, and I think which is a famous uh, a very horse big horse race yeah, yeah. it's yeah. the biggest thing I think in the horse racing calendar in the UK not a big um, knowledgeable person about horse racing wouldn't even know what a horse racing knowledgeable person is called for example <laughs> <laughs> um, we didn't go even into proper lockdown until the 23rd of March mm-hmm. so you know it's only just it's a month today that since the official announcement, though people were starting to um, start before then. So the big furlough announcement, you know, the, 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 the financial support announcement was made on the 17th of March. But they kind of rolled it out really slowly and that was unclear. So people were like, well, I don't have to stay in my house. So, uh, for example, they announced that the pubs were going to close at, I think it was 10 o'clock on Friday night. So you can imagine what the British people did with that pre-announcement. They poured into the pubs in their droves, lots and lots of very social coastal contact, really not um, not appropriate in terms of, of behaviours. But it wasn't clear from the government, and it wasn't until we got the official, you know, stay at home, um, protect the NHS, save lives message that has just been repeated and repeated and I think what actually much like yourselves Laura um anyone who listens to this podcast regularly will know I'm not a big fan of Boris Johnson he doesn't (gasps) share my politics I know 
But I do think that him getting struck down and struck down so severely, you know, Guy was in ICU. Um, you know, it didn't matter what your politics were at that point. You didn't want the prime minister to die um, in the middle of a crisis. I mean, you, you don't generally don't wish off death on people at any time, but particularly when he's your PM and it's the middle of a crisis. It was, I think, that really drove home to people how serious this was. And now, you know, every day there's an announcement of hundreds of deaths. Um, it's it, it, we seem to have peaked for the moment. Touch words, but. It, it's still we're still very much at the beginning of this not not anywhere near the end Doug on uh, February the 19th uh, Donald Trump said the coronavirus is very much under control in the USA we are in contact with everyone and all relevant countries CDC and the World Health Organization have been working very hard and very smart stock market is starting to look very good to me he said that on February the 19th it's what now, April the 22nd. Is Donald Trump taking this or is he yet to still take it seriously? I had to bite my tongue there. Um, the truth is, I, I think at some level, he finally gets it. However, this is a person who has no soul. And he seems incapable of viewing the reality of the situation from anybody's perspective other than his own. And that's really clouded his entire approach. Uh, his Health and Human Services Department declared this a national public health emergency January 31st. They were at least heading in the right direction. And it looks like everything that would have normally followed that was One blocked. second there, Doug. Is this the department which doesn't actually have an acting head? The Health and Human Services Department actually does have an official designated okay. and, and affirmed secretary. The Department of Homeland Security is the one that doesn't. has an yes, acting that's the one I got it mixed director. Up. And in, in the case of an emergency, the responsibility is, is shared though the expectation is that the operational aspects of the emergency would be handled by Homeland Security and mostly through the Federal Emergency Management Agency. And Homeland Security, FEMA, that entire entity is all unconfirmed acting people God bless them. Now, Royfield, I'm just going to cut in here for one second because uh, I'm going to have to say that you are no true Englishman because if you think that this is the 22nd and not the 23rd, St George's Day. Oh, crumbs. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. You know what? It's We're all living in this now, weird who corona knows time. knows what day Wait it is, a minute. right? <laughs> who, who knows what day is what day? What year is it? Even? No, the only thing we do know is 2020, the yeah. worst year ever. That's the only thing we are Oh, I think sure. we're measuring we're measuring things now not by the calendar but by the daily counts of, of and the trend lines on this pandemic and yeah. flattening the curve. Does and that mean it, I get my time back? <laughs> 
I had no idea it was the 23rd. I've been writing the... T- oh, God. Anyway, thank you, Emma. <laughs> thank you, Emma. <laughs> Sorry. Let's kind of just focus on specifically the the government response to... Um, not to the lockdowns. I think they're all pretty similar. It's essential services. You're only allowed to go out for so, many, uh, for so much time each day, etc. Um, but let's start with you, Laura. What has been the government's response to citizens and to business? specifically how how have the canadian government uh, ha- handled that what is exactly is the package which has been ama- available to canadian citizens well that's an interesting question because to their credit the canadian government came right out of the gate without any of the denials or mixed messages or confusion that has really slowed down the u.s response and its effectiveness they came out of the gate clear-eyed this is what it is evidence-based uh science-based tons and tons of communication every day from the experts. And what they did was say, we want to make sure that nobody has to lose their job, that businesses don't have to shut, that nobody has to worry about getting through this. We're in it together. We're going to do it together. And so they started to throw, I call it kind of, you know, the kitchen sink policy. They threw everything in the kitchen sink at the wall. (laughs) And some of it stuck, some of it didn't, some of it uh, missed certain groups that they had to help. So it was such as such as such as uh, there were people. So they came up with a whole bunch of different things. They came up Mm -hmm. with support for businesses. They came up with things that would be let's just take, for instance, the program to help with payroll. But not all companies were eligible for it. You could be sort of too, you could be almost too small and too big at the same time. It was very hard to understand where you fit and what you could actually get for your employees. Uh, They so some companies, a lot of my clients were like, I don't even know if we are eligible or is this even going to help us? And so they went back at that several times, trying to make it more inclusive and more responsive. Even when it came to uh, providing pay for individuals, the great thing was they came out with some real money. They, they put real money in Canadians' pockets almost immediately, uh, which was great, but they missed some people who were below the poverty line, right, who, who didn't necessarily have wages that they uh, were had to be subsidized for. So poverty activists, anti-poverty activists had to get out and say, hey, you missed this group and you missed that group. So what it has really been is very fluid. Uh, and what has been, I think, remarkable, and I, most Canadians, even if they don't like Justin Trudeau, and there are a lot who don't, uh, but most Canadians uh, through this crisis, he's got, I think, a 72% approval rating on his handling of it. Because even with some of the other problems, the, the things that were you know, the Western separation movement and a lot of the other things that were happening in his second term, they all sort of quieted down. And this was an all hands on deck. We're Canadians first. We'll deal with all of that nonsense later. The political discourse shifted to one of solutions, not attacks. And even our provincial level here in Ontario, the most populous province, our our premier, you know, had been after the, the prime minister and this charge about carbon pricing and all the rest of it. And he stopped his critiques. And even though he comes from a different political stripe, he was fully supportive of the federal government. So what we have really seen in Canada is a pause mostly from partisanship uh, and uh, solidarity. And uh, I think that is the only reason why, even though it's been a mixed bag and we keep having to rejig all these programs and people are a little bit confused, where there has been execution, it has been quick and thorough. Uh, and where there has been proposed programs, they've been they've been rejigged. So he, they've been responsive and fast. And just as a comparison, uh, Canadians are getting 
a lot of money every couple of weeks. In fact, the government, when they rolled out the pay, they actually back paid people. So people had double what they expected in their bank accounts. And the amount is significant uh, compared to sort of the 12, I think, what is it, $1,200 in the US for 10 weeks or something. I mean, so Canadians are actually getting the kind of money that can sustain us. Not all businesses can stay open. Not everything was clear enough up front for people's strategies. But I, uh, you know, there are moments where I think every Canadian can say, I'm glad I'm in Canada during this crisis. Uh, Emma, could you uh, remind us of the UK's financial response to citizens uh, during the crisis? So similar-ish picture, um, I guess. Um, they, uh, They brought over a thing we'd never really had before, which is furloughing people. And the idea is that you stay on the payroll of your business, but the government pays your 80% of your wage. So you'll get 80% of what you would normally get. Um, And the idea is that 20% would be what you'd have spent going out or traveling to work or or what have you. Um, And they've done that for quite a lot of people. There are people who've fallen through the cracks, um, freelancers, uh, which is obviously I'm a, well, I I have, thank God, a part-time job that I just, I got just before we started. Um, but I mostly what I do is freelance. Uh, and because I run my own business, so I don't give pay myself PAYE, I just take profits out of the company. And I haven't, I've only been going for two years, so I haven't got enough accounts. So I wouldn't get any money from that scheme at all. Other freelancers who um, just pay as a, as a self-employed person um, can, again, only get it if they've got three years worth of accounts um, submitted to HMRC. Uh, and also don't get anything until I think it's June, which is a really long time to wait if you're, on, you know, quite a lot of freelancers are quite on the edge. Um, <clears throat> it's very, very hard for particularly the cultural industries. Um, that's been a particularly difficult area because an awful lot of people, like like something like 70% of people who work in, um, say, theatre are freelance contract workers and they they were also hit first and will probably be hit longest and there's very little um understanding of how the government are going to continue to support um you know that industry to because it's a huge part of of our not just our economy of our culture but our economy um so that that's going to be um a struggle and people aren't clear on that yet um, but I, so it's been a mixed bag, but it's been a better bag than a lot of people thought. What has been very interesting is those people who can't be furloughed um, are being put immediately on universal credit. Um, and universal credit has been a really, really controversial scheme since it's you know it was it was delayed its rollout i remember talking about universal credit when it was kind of first being mooted in 2011 and it didn't get full rollout um and and i don't think it still had full rollout until this crisis um and it's deliberately designed to be incredibly hard to apply for and really complicated and difficult. And the thing is, is the government always sort of assumed that most people who are applying for universal credit weren't the kind of nice middle-class people who were going to vote Dory. And so now a lot of nice middle-class people who are going to vote Tory find themselves suddenly unemployed and having to apply for universal credit. 
And just as uh, when the child tax credit scandal hit, it was because it was the people who were, were sharp-elbowed and new Tories to complain to. That same thing is happening with universal credit now. You know, the flaws in the system that some of us have been banging on about forever have gone from being a niche issue that only certain people of a particular politics cared about to something everybody's kind of waking up to. So that's been a really, really um, big eye-opener, I think, for a lot of people. Um, same question to you, Doug. Um, your president has even signed each check personally, hasn't he, that he's been sending out? One by one, which is why a lot of people <laughs> haven't gotten them yet. <laughs> Can you tell us what he is, has actually proposed anyway uh, for each American household, citizen and household? The promise was $1,200 or more for every individual, uh, and I believe it was 500 per uh, child, and mm -hmm. an automatic rapid infusion of $10,000 for every business immediately, and the opportunity to get loans that could become grants of up to a half a million dollars so you can keep your employees paid. Um, as with most things in the United States, pretty much any time, but especially under the current environment, uh, yeah, that's not really what happened. A lot of people aren't going to get their $1,200 anytime soon, in part because the checks don't happen that quickly. Some people did get them already. And those $10,000 immediate stimulus grants um, ran out long before everybody got to apply. And because so many more applications were submitted than anticipated, and I don't know where they got their numbers of who was in, who they expected to apply, because 22, 26 million Americans lost their jobs in the last month. So everybody needs it. Anyway. Most of the $10,000 grants are actually like $1,000, which doesn't, doesn't go very far. So it's kind of a mess. Now, states are doing things too. Oh, yeah, actually, the, the other thing, and this is a big thing, and this actually has happened, they did uh, increase the unemployment compensation. So if you were an employed individual who was eligible for unemployment insurance, you would get whatever your state maximum or whatever you're entitled to under your state program, plus another $600 a week for a certain amount of time. That's pretty good, actually. But you have state governments that limit who can apply, and then there's other shenanigans, like what's going on in the state of Georgia, and I don't know if we want to go there, but basically they're trying to restart certain well, businesses. Yeah. That is mostly, as best as I understand it from the pundits in that area, that is mostly a maneuver to reduce the number of people eligible for unemployment claims. Oh. Uh, just whilst we're on unemployment, Emma, am I, am I wrong to say that we three million people in the UK now unemployed officially? Uh, I haven't got that figure at my fingertips. Um, I, I saw I, three million I, somewhere. I think that sounds about right, but it, um, three million unemployed is a fairly iconic figure because it was the, the yeah from, from the, the 80s, 80s. Yeah. yes exactly um i mean three million unemployed in this population levels is actually considerably better than three million unemployed in the population levels we had at the 80s mm. um 
it's not great. I mean, it's not great when we have anyone unemployed. Um, but I don't think we've reached the, the the desperate levels of unemployment that they have in the states. Well, the, yeah, and and that was that was the point I was going to come on to make. Um, wh- and what is the unemployment figure uh, in Canada, Laura? <laughs> I'm just checking the latest now. Um, unemployed, it's we had what was really significant in Canada was when we hit a million people filing for unemployment unemployment in one week, and that was huge. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, one of the things that's coming out of this discussion in Canada is that you know everyone touts Canada as being one of the places that has universal health care, and we do. It's not a perfect system, but it's certainly one that we we feel grateful for. But we've had discussions about basic about basic income in Canada, universal basic income. And it's it's sort of been piloted in fits and starts and never really taken ground. But in this pandemic, because so many of the people we're relying on as essential service are people who are making minimum wage, who don't even have a living wage in a lot of cases, this has really opened up the discussion about uh, how can we have a sustainable economy if there are, if the people we rely on are making so little money, you know, because some of us are doing very well who can work from home and who have the skill mm-hmm. sets that are needed in the moment. And so we are actually seeing in Canada a robust discussion around whether or not this is actually a, a federal pilot of basic income because essentially they are guaranteeing a basic income one way or another right there's lots of different things going on but uh, this might be something that canadians don't want to let go of and there's already talk about the need for protests in the streets if we can ever gather again uh, to to enforce this and to sustain this and to take care now that we've seen the you know maybe some of us knew about the gap before but for a lot of Canadians, I think they're opening up their eyes and saying, we're counting on someone being at the grocery store to get our food when we go out once a week. That person, mm. what do they get paid? What is the risk they're taking for us? You know, uh, of course, the frontline healthcare workers, there's a lot of conversation around that. But, you know, the, the people who are delivering our pizzas and things, you know, uh, they are not, a lot of them work the gig economy. A lot of them don't have any kind of sustainable wages. And so I, I think coming out of this, if there is a bright spot, we're looking at a discussion on whether or not a basic a universal basic income isn't that crazy a notion it's actually something that makes good financial sense and works for society especially during this kind of a crisis what's really remarkable is that in the united states um, the first person on capitol hill to suggest the thousand dollar payment which turned into 1200 for every american was a republican mitt romney and now there are serious discussions on Capitol Hill for some form of universal basic income. And it's not only one side of the aisle, which is fascinating. I have no idea where it's going to wind up. Mm. Yeah, UBI has often been touted on the right as well as the left. It's very interesting that way. Not so much over here, though. Uh, Actually, here I had someone on one of my shows who was telling me that it was actually conceived of by a more conservative leaning um, thinker uh, a number of decades ago because it cut out the middle management, you know, just give the money into the economy, have them spend it. And there you go. Get rid of some of the, the social service structures that often people on the right don't <laughs> don't think are valuable. So it does have, I think, a history and more conservative thought. I know, and it's a big surprise to a lot of Americans, but universal basic income was actually trialed under Nixon. So it goes back as long ago as as that. Um, 
let's look at kind of heroes um, from this whole kind of pandemic uh, crisis. Uh, Doug, um, has there been any any politician or scientist or doctor? I'm pointing one specific direction. Is there anybody <laughs> who you know has come out with um, a reputation enhanced because of this COVID nineteen crisis? Well, I think. Tony Fauci, the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, who those of us who covered HIV AIDS and any infectious disease since the 1980s, you know, we've known him for a long time, but now he's a household name, which is awesome because he is an incredibly, he is a highly credible scientist. Um, mm-hmm. But he's still with the government, which is a bit of an issue. Uh, we've seen some politicians. But wasn't he also part of the Obama administration as well? Well, he, he's he's nonpartisan. He's he's a science. Yeah. He's he's the, the 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 leader of a federal science agency that is. Uh, well, I, okay. Technically, he's a presidential appointee, but. Um, and he reports to the head of the National Institutes of Health, who's a political appointee. But those positions historically have not been partisan. So, for example, the, the head of the National Institutes of Health now is the same person who's been there, uh, in, in fact, before Obama. In fact, okay. he's worked since Reagan. And, and, and Cuomo, he seems to be um, the, the governor for the moment. Well, so one of the things that is probably, given the current state of things, a good trend is that this has been a chance for governors to step up and 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 lead, and some of them have really done it. Mary, uh, Mario Cuomo, sorry, Mario Cuomo's son Andrew, who's now in his third term as governor of New York, has been holding daily news briefings every day, and this is a governor who was actually not very well liked. He actually was not so popular, but he's got this kind of perfect, um, tough, but also human way of telling people what's going on. And he's managed to master the scientific details sufficiently to include the right science messages into his public messages, but he defers to his science people to do the real talking on the science. He doesn't muzzle them. And he, I mean, he keeps talking about, you know, uh, the rules that he has set for his own family a- as a way of trying to persuade other people to do the same thing, to do what's right. And I, I think we need more of that, whether you agree with him or not. It's just the fact that he's out there and being he's taking questions, he's addressing them. He's happy to have somebody disagree as long as they exchange, uh, you know, respectful ideas. That's good. <laughs> to say in Canada, so uh, must-see TV for so many of us stuck at home, is the Prime Minister's press conference in the morning. Our local premiers all take their turns. And then we go to Mario, we go to uh, Cuomo's press conference. I I grew up when Mario Cuomo was the governor. (laughs) (laughs) But the only thing is that only in America, it's not just about Cuomo, it's his famous brother, Chris Cuomo from CNN, who was in isolation and, and we're talking 
and we had to hear about them fighting with their mom and, and each other and their mom and the whole family <laughs> dynamic has become kind of like a, a theater of the absurd but necessary for us all to get through this but we watched Cuomo's press conference to get the real deal and we're so close here in Toronto to New York right it's very we're very very close geographically um, so we go there for the real sense of what's happening in America and then we all have a couple cocktails and watch Trump uh, go crazy and play bingo cards on what Trump's going to say during what he's his what <laughs> propaganda play later in the afternoon so I mean, I mean the the so Fauci and Cuomo are stars here in Canada as well but to your question Royfield I have to say that Dr. Teresa Tam, who's our, our National Medical Officer of Health, she has been another guiding light through this. She's been, you know, she doesn't have a lot of the, the same star powers Fauci, maybe, but she definitely has been consistent and clear and uh, people almost make fun of her because she has so little, she's almost monotone in her delivery. There's, there's no bells and whistles, <laughs> you know, there's no show. It's just a very clear, sober person who is leading our medical medical response. And then I would have to say that uh, our prime minister, again, because he's been both an empathetic figure staying home with his wife, but also uh, has always had that ability to connect well with audiences. He's certainly been something that Canadians have, uh, I think his his ratings, as I said, have gone up. Mm. Um, Emma, the, the chancellor, when he came out with his package, got a lot of plaudits. Would he be one of our standout UK stars in this whole crisis? Uh, yeah, probably politically, I would say. Um, Rishi Sunak's uh, probably def had probably definitely gotten terrible. Uh, enhanced his reputation, um, you know, stepped up very quickly, has been responding to, you know, the ongoing questioning because obviously not everyone gets caught in the first round. Um, I think there have been some, so recently there's been some infighting in the cabinet, um, which has led to briefings against each other, which is just not the politics of the moment. You just think, you know, God, guys, get over your egos. Um, in terms of the bureaucrats, um, Chris Whitty and Patrick Valance have been very reassuring, almost daily presences on our uh, press conferences. Um, they're always deferred to when the politicians want to, you know, a non-political question is asked um, and the politician wants the experts to be the one to tell us we can't go out again. Um, then there's, you know, the, the, but I think, the real hero in Britain um, isn't a politician or a, a bureaucrat. It's a hundred-year-old uh, <laughs> army veteran. Yeah, uh, Captain Tom Moore, who has raised by walking round and round his garden uh, like a teddy bear, um, twenty-eight million pounds um, for the NHS charities, which will go to support. Um, NHS workers, so it provides things like wellness rooms uh, and, and su supporting that. Um, it supports long-term support because there is going to be a lot of PTSD, I imagine, in the NHS when we come out of this. Um, and it also does things like help um, non-medical things for patients. So, for example, providing iPads um, for people to keep in touch with their family if they're in hospital. Mm. Um, I have to say quickly say Chancellor uh, means finance minister uh, for our tra transatlantic cousins. Uh, always have to do that little bit of translation. Um, so we've kind of been devolved really of party political 
fighting because this is a national emergency in the UK. Um, not quite the same in the US, uh, eh, Doug? There's a lot of criticism of the performance of your president. Um, we did touch on this at the very start. Is he taking this seriously? Is he empathizing? Is he leading? Um, where are the the noises coming most loudly in terms of the political firmament in America's the performance of Donald J. Trump? Well, the, the sad part, and as somebody who's been involved in science communications for most of my life, it's very upsetting. Um, this has been a political issue from day one because at the very first moment that the Centers for Disease Control was trying to alert people to this very real risk, the president was furious at the CDC official who said that. And because of the effect it had on the stock market. That's right. It, it's, it spooked the finance markets. And the the officials around him, even the ones who knew that this was a big deal, were either afraid to bring it to him or couldn't get his attention on it. At a minimum, it was three lost weeks. And I'm working with people right now who are literally on the front lines, and it is terribly upsetting to me. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was on a phone call where I was hearing firsthand from officials in Louisiana who were desperately trying to get ventilators and N95 masks because they were having a dramatic increase in the number of patients showing up at the hospital every day and they were going to run out. And the federal government, our government, diverted supplies that were secured by these officials. But there's there's the organizational um, lack of competency, but then there was also the messaging from up high, isn't there? There is the fact that this man is there's no doing rambling to our press conferences, of which yesterday he was completely and utterly contradicted by his medical experts, wasn't he? One oh. minute, we're going to liberate the states. Next minute, yes, we need to um, stay indoors for a little while longer. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he, he contradicts himself within a few minutes, and I'm not exaggerating there. Uh, and when the reporters say, but wait a minute, 15 minutes ago, you said that you were going to do this. No, I didn't. I mean, that's loony land. And one of the huge problems, and, and you know, I could literally pull out the old pandemic playbook, the federal plan for a pandemic, one of the core pieces of it was the importance of consistent communications and messaging from the federal government in a health emergency. I mean, it, it shouldn't take a scientist to say that, but that, that's been what we've taught people for all these years. And not only has the president been completely inconsistent himself, but he's been contradicting his own people, literally the same people that show up with him at those daily reality show things. And because of the degree, I'm going to call it corruption, the degree of corruption, scientists throughout the federal government are afraid to share the facts because you know we we found out yesterday the the per, one of the people who was leading the effort to develop 
vaccine programs got fired because he complained that the president was promoting malaria drugs that were unproven for COVID-19. And it now turns out those drugs are bad for a lot of people, so they shouldn't have been promoted. Anyway, but that that's another scientist muzzled. May I also say that just, you know, we, you guys are lucky, Royfield and Emma, that you're across the pond from Trump, but we're not. And, you know, we, we kind of want him to put up a wall between Canada and the U.S. <laughs> yeah, it's got, it's got major implications for you. It's so bad for us. This, I mean, just him saying liberate. So it's all under the guise of the election, of course, right? We're coming up mm-hmm. to a presidential election and it colors, I think, every decision he makes. That's, that's his main driver, not lives, not neighbors, not anything. It's the re-election. The stock path. market. And and the re-election, yes. Those are tied together. So what I was going to say is that you know it's one thing for him to be endangering the lives of Americans, and many of them are cousins. I have cousins in the U.S. We're we're very connected as countries, right? Uh, Longest border in the world, and it's unguarded, right? We are we're essentially part of the U.S. in many ways, culturally as well. When he says liberate these states, right, trying to on the swing states, and he's trying to push Democratic governors, these protests that are being funded by by some of the action groups in the U.S., the conservative groups, they're bringing guns, right? They're, they're, they're going to, to the houses of governors. And this is very close to us. And for us, it is almost as though he's trying to provoke a civil war to win this election. And that's terrifying. So, you know, there's, there's, it's not just his mendacity or his cruelty or his inconsistency or his propaganda. It's the fact that there are actually, you know, a, a nation that is armed to the teeth is, is on the brink of a, of a sort of civil unrest because of this the way this man is provoking and and that is terrifying can i just say props to you laura no one's ever said mendacity in 101 (laughs) episodes of mid-atlantic so well done new ways to say he's a liar (laughs) (laughs) emma you're about to say something well i was just going to say coming back to doug's uh communications point i mean it's it's not even just what he says. They crowd onto that stage together, standing closer than six foot. You just have to turn the TV on for a second to get inconsistent messaging. Mm. And let Fauci rest and save the world. Stop <laughs> making him stand there for two hours next yeah. to Trump. <laughs> but and also, I'm sure he's got better things to do with his time. <laughs> Sorry, Doug. If Dr. Fauci is not there, people get really nervous. And True. they should. And... I mean, it's it's it's. But they don't have to take the two hours that Trump rambles on for. Well, and and more of the networks are are starting to tune it out. And uh, even though I kind of need to be listening because of the work I do, I am not watching the whole thing live anymore either because my mental health That's is right. fragile now too. Um, but I'm I'm dealing with a lot of the people who have to address the consequences. And, you know, whether it's healthcare workers who are being threatened, just like the governors, to people doing completely contradictory behavior. And anybody who has looked at any history knows that, you know, the anti-mask brigades of 1918, their activity preceded mass deaths. Mm -hmm. Are we really that stupid that we're not going to stop this nonsense who knows Mm. um 
Laura made the point, Emma. Uh, she, she talked about people on the front line, workers on the front line, and uh, we talked about the people doing essential services. Uh, obviously, in the UK, the NHS um, has been central to everybody's kind of response to the, this crisis that our national health service that's what the acronym is nhs um is literally our our one national jewel and i've always said this to americans um you know you take away the bbc and the nhs from the united kingdom and you don't really have the united kingdom it's so those two institutions and i'd put the royal family a kind of third on that in terms of the symbolism of them but those two institutions are so key to our understanding as being british we have this um every um eight o'clock on a thursday that people go out and, and, and clap um I, I just realized the time i just realized the time um are we just going to clap for the NHS, for those people who are literally are putting their lives on the line and then forget about them when this whole process is over and not pay our nurses what they deserve and not continue to and not fund our health service properly? I don't think that's going to be possible. I think, to be honest, it hasn't been possible for a few years. The Tories have had to put a lot more money into the NHS than they did for the first half of the decade when um, they absolutely battered it. Um, and I think we are really starting to understand in this country what a key worker is um, and how little they're paid, particularly not just people in the NHS, but people who do social care, which is not in the NHS, but everyone thinks it is. Um, and you, a lot of people who do care work are on uh, zero hours contracts, um, paid very badly, treated very badly, um, given 15 minute slots to do um, the whole job, usually including the travel there. Um, so I think that the, the high profile of the heroes um, that we have, and you know, 28 million pounds was donated by the British public. And those that those British public are voters. Yeah, I, I don't think it's going to be possible for the government to turn around and say, well, it was nice while we were all sick, but now we have to tighten our belts and blah, blah, blah. You know, we're all in it together, except we're not. Austerity is necessary. I just can't see that being a message that the public will accept after this. How how important, Emma, was it that Boris Johnson thanked uh, a Portuguese nurse and uh, a nurse from New Zealand when he came out of hospital? That, to me, was him tipping his hat and saying, yes, our health service is propped up by, by immigrants. Yeah, it was. Um, what that will mean, policy-wise, I think he's more likely to be as bad on immigration as they were before, because I think that's going to be an easier sell. We don't want open borders because look at what happens when you have globalisation and open borders. I think that's an easier sell for the Tories than we're not going to fund the NHS properly. So mm. they just won't talk about the Portuguese nurses anymore. They will they, they will be um, very much forgotten about uh and that will be a crisis because we haven't trained up enough uh, domestic nurses. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's all connected, but I, I don't think, my guess is that there will be a strong element on the Brexit supporting right who will want to use this to 
further close down borders rather than open them up. Well, we've already seen Trump do that. Yeah. You know, he's finally got his no immigration thing going. But I do have to say that uh, a lot of us here, and because of what the CDC said the other day, talking about the second wave and how it will dovetail with the flu pandemic and we'll have worse to deal with in the fall than we currently are now. I can't speak for all Canadians, but certainly the discourse that I'm having with different leaders uh, that I work with, they are looking at this in terms of a much longer horizon of both support for the gig economy, the workers, the freelancers, the frontline workers, but just this idea that we're, we're a year or two of this ahead of us. This is not something that is going to evaporate just because a few states open up and a few provinces that have low caseloads or haven't really had much of a coronavirus problem are going to open up. We're looking at this much, much longer. And I think the argument, we don't have a federal election for a while, but the argument that um, it's it's not just, it, it can't just be philosophical anymore. We are, we are only as healthy as everyone is. We are only able to be as productive and as successful as everyone is healthy, you know, so so this this direct connection between the people who were ignored before uh, and the success of the people who have the power is now permanently etched. And I think that I have kids who are, uh, you know, at both nine and 11, and I pulled them out of school before the schools closed, just because in, in the business of public relations, you're always looking for trends. And I thought, we, I got to get us out of there. And we went into self-isolation ahead of the governments uh, telling us all to. And we did that because, you know, we're just looking at this going, this is longer and stronger than we even realized. And my children are seeing what the world can look like uh, with a very different lifestyle. And, and I think that the impacts of this are going to last for a very long time. So I'm hoping that the support of care workers, that the understanding of the value of immigration, that what got us through this crisis is we might go back to our cynical views and there might be some partisanship for the near term. But I think that the, the generation that is watching this uh, hopefully is going to have a very different view of what makes a civilized world than we currently have. Uh, well said, sister. Uh, Doug, how is this going to impact on uh, Americans' thoughts on universal health care? As Laura said, we're only as healthy as um, uh, the, the poorest in our communities, in in our societies. One thing that COVID nineteen has is exposed is that truth. The fact that um, if you're going to have your pizza delivery person or your gig economy person or your shop uh, worker without health coverage, that's going to impact you. Absolutely, in, with, your and great, I, with your great plan from from your boss. I've started hearing people say things like if bus drivers and delivery people and grocery store clerks and so on are really essential workers, we ought to be paying them like essential workers. I hope we get there. Um, I actually was encouraged. I saw some job postings for uh, people to screen people's temperature. Uh, at a government facility uh, in my area, and the pay is significantly higher than I've seen for comparable positions before. So maybe this will happen. But this whole thing has exposed the enormous gaps in the American healthcare system, which have gotten worse under the current president by far. We've got 30 million people without insurance. It That's 50% higher than it was four years ago. That's a big problem. And those problems are going to be there when this is over and it'll get worse. Uh, Laura, um, Saskatchewan, 
has announced measures to get itself out of lockdown. Is it going to be the first of many Canadian provinces to do so? Well, a tiny little province of PEI, which has the population uh, a sixth of, I think, the size of even the city I'm in right now, uh, it has it was already sort of out of the gate. But in terms of a major province, Saskatchewan is much larger geographically and in population. It's it's not a huge population, which is why I think their cases are so low. Uh, mm-hmm. It's sort of smack in in the middle of the country if you were looking at it from on a globe, but the. Uh, they're they're talking about a, f- a phased approach. I think it's five different phases, and and it makes sense in the, given where they are in terms of the number of new uh, diagnosis, new cases. One of the things that we're looking at Canada is vast, and the, a lot of our population resides in a few urban centers close to the U.S. border. So we might see quite a difference between the um, response of the more rural provinces and what we can do in cities like Vancouver and Toronto and Montreal. Quebec has had a lot of challenges too, partly because I believe their March break where people went away was a little later. And so they had, they weren't quite, uh, you know, they had some more issues that came in. So we're, we're a big country. Uh, I'm certainly looking at it probably not being a national response about opening up. It's going to probably be more regional for all the factors that I just cited. So we will look at what's happening there uh, in Saskatchewan. But I think what we're mostly trying to look at are cities of comparable size and of uh, geographic similarities. And so we're, we're looking more closely towards New York City, maybe than we would be towards what Saskatchewan is doing. Emma, we don't have the same kind of structure of the United States or Canada, which are federal. We are uh, a collection of nations and regions, somebody just told me. Um, um, What plans, if any, uh, does the UK government have for us to get out of lockdown? What do we know right now? Uh, They don't really want to tell us. For quite good reason, um, in that the, the more we kind of talk about, oh, well, this might happen by X, mm-hmm. if it can't then happen at X, there'd be more people breaking lockdown and that you know, it would go against what, what's needed. The Scottish government have produced a plan, I believe, um, but I, I don't think it has any dates attached to it. Um, it's more a kind of look we think that we'll be able to open some schools in some way by this point. We think some businesses will be open by this point. But they're talking about no pubs until December. And this is Scotland we're talking about. Wow. All right. So um, last question before we go on to takeaways of the week. Um, I think just we've that in, in Canada, marijuana delivery became a essential service. <laughs> <laughs> true <laughs> uh just to to end up obviously this dreadful pandemic uh, will have a toll on human lives and and it will have a cost economically um we have kind of touched on this before but let's just try and end on a positive note um how will it change if not just economics but potentially politics uh, let's start with you uh laura well People seeing 
more stars in the sky. We don't have a lot of air pollution here in Canada, but we certainly have traffic issues in our major urban centers. And to have no traffic, to have, uh, I think, so much more family time, people getting, there's a lot of bread making happening in Canada, and I think a lot of victory gardens are being planted. And so we are, we are getting back. It almost feels like a cultural reboot. And while some of us might go back to our old habits, I think that the generations that are watching who aren't maybe in the workforce yet are seeing a different way to live. And I think it will change how we live, what we spend on things, our priorities. Uh, so I think that we are, we're getting a glimpse of another way of living. We didn't want the glimpse. We didn't expect the glimpse, but now that we've seen it, we can't unsee what we've seen. Emma? Yeah, I think um, I think that's true. Um, I, th I think we're a, we need to be ready for narratives that come up around the economics of this because this is going to be an economic shock unlike anything we've ever known. Um, this is going to make two thousand and eight look like a drop in the ocean, um, and we know what some on the right will do with that because we, we we lived it 12 years ago we saw it um you know and we've been living it in the uk for the last decade um so it's really important not just to um make the argument about how important um carers and the nhs are but to continue to make the importance of a an, an enabling state not a not a you know not an authoritarian state kind of argue that we're all living in authoritarian states right now but a state that comes out of this stronger and better able to care for people because we've realized the value of human life over the value of money if you're looking for plump lips that last you need to know about juvederm lip fillers with juvederm volbella xc and juvederm ultra xc your lip look whether it's subtle or bold can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at juvederm.com today that's j-u-v-e-d-e-r-m.com add fullness to lips and adults over 21 with juvederm volbella xc or juvederm ultra xc do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's that time of the week where we chillax. And you know what, Doug? We've had a whole lot of time to chillax in the last month. Everybody on planet Earth, Earth has. So you must have had a long time to contemplate your navel and to look at uh, something which emboldens and enlivens and uplifts the human spirit. What's been your takeaway of the last seven days, sir? As bad as things may be, I am actually seeing a lot of kindness. And it is remarkable to me how gracious people who don't have to be are. Um, I am loving how the entertainment industry has stepped up. Musicians, dancers, all kinds of folks. I watched a free web concert by Robin Wilson of the uh, of the Gin Blossoms yesterday. Just free. Um, Paul Simon has been doing songs. Carol King. Um, it's fabulous and and it's it's a gift to those of us who are stuck from people who we respect and it's entertaining and it's uplifting and it's messages of kindness everybody's delivering it in their own way and we sure as heck need more of that if i can pick up on that uh locally i uh, somebody and i started on twitter a covid kindness hashtag and then realized that it was started organically all over the world because there are there is so there are so many examples of kindness and we just felt we had to inject some hope and some perspective onto social media so it, my takeaway has been that social media which is critical to my business in communications was becoming a real cesspool of cruelty, especially as a woman on television. You know, the, the kind of commentary that I would have to ignore in a given day is soul destroying. And what I have found since this started, uh, you know, there have been moments, you know, ahead of the Easter weekend where people were getting very chippy and people were frustrated and missing their families. But overall, there has been a sense of no personal attacks, no cheap shots, none of the usual garbage that uh, Twitter was allowing. The the actual people on Twitter are saying, "Stop, enough, we can't." You know, we we are all under this is a this is a mental health crisis as much as it is a financial crisis or anything else. And I have really loved seeing the change of the discourse on social media. Uh, people are trying to help each other mental mental health instead of trying to just destroy each other's mental health for sport and if i can pick up on that that's actually my my takeaway of the week which is that we've mental health has risen up the agenda because we're all struggling everyone's had down days everyone's had difficult days everyone's had times when their mental health has not been as good as it could be because we're all in this awful situation and that has really risen up the agenda and it was kind of rising anyway but I do feel like this crisis has been uh, what they say never let a good crisis go to waste uh, and if if this can teach us anything it, it has taught us more about the importance of mental health and the need for it to have parity in our systems. Oh, uh, well said. Um, now very quickly I'm going to edit this all around. Doug how can people find you on social media? I am on Facebook at uh, Doug Levy News, D-O-U-G-L-E-V-Y-N-E-W-S, or on Twitter, S-F-Doug. How about you, Laura? 
I am Laura Babcock on uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. Exhausted, honestly. Um, I think, you know, when you asked, talked about chill time, I've never had so little. I, I just kind of work all day, clean, try to s- have dinner for the family and go to bed. It's nuts. Uh, so, you know, mental health wise, I some days I don't even get outside my front door. And I have a backyard. I don't get it's crazy, but this is this is the longest break I've taken from client work in six weeks <laughs> with you. I'm working seven days a week, and so I'm I'm really lucky that I have um, that I'm making money in this mess. You know, where so many other contractors are unemployed, or you know, so I'm grateful, and I'm just trying to bank it while I can. But I've never been so exhausted. <laughs> so, but maybe. I've got a mom in long-term health and who's got cancer. I mean, all that stuff that we all have, right? But so, so I'm good in the sense of um, business has never been better. But personally, I I want to sleep for a month. <laughs> How about yourself? Uh, uh, you know, for me, things don't feel personally that different because I work from home. And right. there, there have been days, more than one, where I've not walked out of the house before right because i'm just working you know and you just forget um so in terms of day-to-day it doesn't feel any different but but actually my workload has gone up because more people want content so Mm. all the traffic to all of my podcasts has actually gone up by about 20 percent on an average and then I had this rather bizarre situation on the one show that I do, which is actually my most popular a thing called Dumpty Dum, where um, I did a Zoom meeting um, two weeks ago. I was a Zoom virgin and I did not know how to uh, safeguard. So I posted the link all over Twitter. It was it was invaded by neo-Nazis and old man masturbating pornography was flying up and the thing is i had an actor of the program that uh, we're fans of like sat there i'm trying to interview him there's like 40 people watching and there's an old man with his cock out wank i i was so angry i slammed I, I just couldn't switch it off i'm trying to and there's somebody playing drum and bass it was just craziness anyway 10 minutes in i just slammed down the laptop that was it it was all over right uh a week afterwards my cousin called me up sorry sent me a text i'm sat on the sofa it's 11 o'clock at night 12 it's midnight and he says you're on radio for news i went no i'm not he went he said they just said royfield brown dumpty dum pensioner masturbating and radio <laughs> 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 i'm like no way anyway um, <laughs> I, I then hear the news report. The next day, I have a Sun journalist uh, call me up. Um, it was in the Telegraph, the Sun, the Mirror, the Metro, and the Telegraph. All these national newspapers. I got paid for the story. My traffic went up even more and whatever. I'm like, I love old people wanking on me. <laughs> this is not- <laughs> The Corona nineteen crisis has been pretty good for me personally. (laughs) (laughs) So, but yeah, but yeah, I'm doing more work, and 
as say traffic is up which is the main thing which ultimately means if there's still the advertising dollars i should get uh, more money you know that's a little bit of a niff so that has been your your mid atlantic for you episode 101 uh, where we uh, broke with convention as in keeping with these uh, coronavirus times where we had not one not two but three pundits from all around the globe for you. We'll see you all again in approximately 14 days time. uh, And hopefully we'll have um, some good news to talk about the pandemic, which is sweeping the globe. Take care. Be safe. Bye bye. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow-up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Undaria Algae Body Oil and Undaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.